Welcome to Mach 10 Sports. Glad you could join us for this January 17th episode. We have a great episode planned for you. Uh, first, just want to start off with some uh, sobering news. Where we are, we're going to cover everything here, whether uh, it could be a little controversial, um, sad, like the two situations I'm about to bring up. But I, if I could only be right, we're an SEC podcast. These are two SEC programs. We're going to bring it up. But first, we're going to send out condolences to the Georgia football program. Um, as they unfortunately lost a player in Devin Willick and recruiting staff member, member Chandler LaCroix. Uh, prayers to the Georgia football program and both those families involved. Also in Tuscaloosa on Sunday morning, there was a tragic accident with 24-year-old uh, Jamia Harris, who was a mother of one, uh, was shot and killed early Sunday morning uh, right off the strip in Tuscaloosa. Uh, if you don't know where that is, it's literally right off campus. Uh, right near Bryant-Denny Stadium, right by the Walk of Champions, extends all the way heading towards downtown. Um, but uh, Alabama basketball player, unfortunately, Darius Miles, has been charged with capital murder along with another man uh, from Maryland. Um, prayers to everyone involved, especially to the Harris family. Um, but those are just two unfortunate, tragic situations that uh, came upon on uh Saturday night, early Sunday morning, but just wanted to start off by wishing everyone involved, both the Georgia football program, the families involved, and then obviously the Harris family with the unfortunate news in Tuscaloosa on Sunday. But getting to this episode, we have a special guest today, one of my longtime buddies, uh, former college coach. He's coached at Miami, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, um, currently the defensive coordinator at IMG, the 2019 National Recruiter of the Year, Brian Niedemeyer, is going to join us here to lead off the show. I'm fired up for that. We also got Pete Golden heading back, heading to the Ox Patch, leaving Alabama as the defensive signal caller to head to uh, lead the Ole Miss Rebel program with Lane Kiffin. Um, who does Alabama go after next as the defensive coordinator? We'll get into that a little bit. We also go over the weekend that was on the hardwood in the SEC, and how about those Kentucky Wildcats? Coach Cal and the Cats got their swag back a little bit after what happened all last week with Mitch Barnhart, the AD, all the stuff that's kind of happened with the Kentucky program. Even going back with their little beef with Mark Stoops a little bit, big win for them to go into Thompson Bowen Arena, Knoxville, Tennessee, get that win. Um, other than that, then, we'll preview the the week that is in college basketball coming up as to the Tuesday-Wednesday matchups in the SEC. But first... Like I said, we got my guy Brian Niedermeyer, Niedermeyer on first. Here's that interview with me and him. All right, everybody. Like I mentioned, I have here with us former SEC football assistant coach and 2019 National Recruiter of the Year, Brian Niedermeyer. Needs, welcome to the show, baby. Appreciate it, Dave. Long-time lis long listener, first-time guest. First-time caller, baby. I get a little yeah. fine bomb in there. So, Needs, for the audience, I know a lot of people know you, but for the people that don't, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, just your playing career at Arkansas Pine Bluff, through your coaching career, where you're from, to what you're doing now and all. Yeah, um, grew up in a uh, rural fishing village on the Aleutian chain in Alaska. Uh, went to junior college down at Butte Junior College right outside of Sacramento, Northern California. Homo, old Aaron Rodgers. Um, from there, went and played at a historically black college and university uh, about 45 minutes southeast of Little Rock called University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. At Pine Bluff. Oh, at, yeah, I can't forget the at. And then um, from there, went and uh, worked a year, volunteered at uh, the University of Miami on defense, worked for a guy named Michael Barrow. 
uh, awesome man. Um, Where is Barrow now? Is he, with, is he with the Seahawks? He was. He that was his last stop. Uh, he is in. He's retired, living in Charlotte. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, from there, I went to a Division three school, East Texas Baptist University, um, which is on I twenty uh, between uh, Dallas and Shreveport, Louisiana. It's right on the right on the Louisiana Texas line. From there, I went over and I was a graduate assistant at Georgia on defense, working with defensive line, DBs, linebackers, pretty much the whole deal. And then left there, was a defensive graduate assistant at Alabama for one year, got promoted to assistant director of recruiting operations my second year. And then I went to Tennessee and I was the tight ends coach for two years and the inside linebackers coach for one. After that, I was the game plan coordinator uh, for offense and defense at St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Fort Lauderdale. And then last year I was the defensive coordinator at IMG Academy. So, Nate, y'all, you, you obviously signed the 2017 class at Alabama. Yeah, yeah, I was there for that, for Najee and Tua and Alex Wood, a lot of those guys. Yeah, that class, the class that kind of was the upperclassmen, the veterans of the 2020 team, and ultimately won the SEC, won the national championship, the last national championship at Alabama. Yeah, Devontae Smith, all those guys. Uh, you know, Jedrick Wills. You know, it was a really great group of kids. I mean, obviously super talented. Now, piggybacking off that a little bit. Now, you've worked with some great football coaches, obviously. We've heard the school. we got Nick Saban. You worked with Sark. At uh, Alabama, uh, obviously, Jeremy Peru, great defensive mind. Uh, Coach Rick, uh, you got a lot of them in there. What are some things, in your opinion, the non-negotiables when it comes to running just a successful football organization in a conference like the SEC? Um, I mean, I think you can always point to Coach Saban. I think it's organization um, and maximizing your time. I think Coach Saban's probably the most efficient human being I've ever seen when it comes to not wasting any time with anything. He's always devoting every minute of the day to, you know, some task that has to do with either recruiting, game planning, something. He wastes no time. And I think that's something that's impressive to me just because he he doesn't sit around, he doesn't hang out, he doesn't dilly-dally, you know, he – Truly, I mean, he gets on a plane. There's a computer on the plane. He's evaluating recruits. Um, you know, he gets off the plane. He gets on the phone. He's talking to recruits. You know, he's dealing with any staff or, or administrational issues. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's something that's really impressive, you know, and how he his hierarchy of organization, who's responsible for what, that's what's most important. He's just super efficient at what he does. And I think that's something that sets him apart from a lot of coaches. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just from looking at it from a distance, you can tell, like you said, you're with some great football minds. But I think that from a head coach standpoint, that's that's one of just a few uh, credentials you need to be a successful head coach at the highest level like you need to be in the SEC. Yeah, he's truly a CEO. I mean, obviously, he has a great defensive mind and – you know, he hires really well. Um, he's always done a good job with finding young coaches that 
are up and coming and, you know, he develops his coaches. So. Well, Nate, that leads me into my next question. I think you're unique from a standpoint of you've worked on both sides of the ball. You worked at both sides of the ball at Tennessee, you coached the tight ends, and also you coached the inside linebackers. Just from a schematic standpoint, what is the biggest change in the game in your opinion? Just so for that, over the last 10, 15 years when you first got to the industry, what would you say? Well, I think, number one, you're so lucky to work on both sides of the ball. I think I'm, I'm really grateful to Coach Pruitt for doing that for me. And, you know, you see the game differently once you've been on both sides. You see the issues. You see what you're trying to attack. You see what other – you know, the other side's trying to attack and account for, obviously – Offense is more, you know, premeditated. You control a lot with your motions, your pre-snap stuff, formations, you know, snap count. You know, is it hurry up? Is it not? Um, and then defensively, you're obviously post-snap. You know, you're trying to find out. You have to cover for everything. So, um, so it's a lot of reactionary. Now, in my opinion, moving forward, I mean, obviously you look at Tennessee's offense – you know, what, what Art Bryles and them brought in, I think, you know, Jeff Levy at Oklahoma, he kind of brought that to Hypel and them. And, you know, they've all done a really good job with these super wide splits, you know, with the, the hurry up. I mean, it really negated the pass rush by some teams that they played. Um, you know, obviously hurry up in RPOs, you know, and these super wide splits by the receivers. It kind of changes the leverages and what you can run. It, it eliminates a lot of one-high coverage if you're trying to stop the pass. I mean, at times, you know, if you don't have guys that can run. So uh, I would say, yeah, RPOs, you know, post-snap RPO reads where, you know, it could be inside zone with a eight-yard, you know, post-glance, you know, throwing behind it or mm – -hmm. You know, all, all the hurry up. I mean, obviously, they've been doing that since Chip Kelly and all those guys. But, man, the RPOs have really – the RPOs and these super wide splits are something that's really changed the game defensively, in my opinion. Just a side question off that. From your side, from offense and defensive side of the ball, from a preparation standpoint, going into the week, Sunday through Thursday, really Sunday through uh, Wednesday for some, what is the – Biggest differential from a preparation standpoint, you think, either being from all on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball? I think offensively, when you're game planning, you're trying to see what I can get them in that I know what they're going to be in defensively. So, like a big thing in Alabama or some people is you get in tray formation where you have a tight end by himself on the backside and three receivers to the other side. It really limits in the you know, in traditional Alabama system what you're going to be. And there's going to, there's one of three things, right? And so are, you know, three or four. But, you know, there's a few tray checks that, that naturally show up. So when you're trying to look at offensively, what can I consistently get these guys in where I know what they're going to do? I mean, obviously you're going to get exotic looks and things are going to change week to week. But I'm trying to figure out how can I, you know, or if there's a motion that, that man or zone IDs everything for the quarterback, how do I help my quarterback understand what we're seeing? and it's a process of elimination of, okay, this is what it probably is, right? By safeties, by, you know, different looks. So um, I would say that's – you're trying to figure out what formation and what's the best way where I know what they're going to be in so I can run a route combination or 
have a specific run, you know, where that's going to be successful against that. Whereas adversely on defense, you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, this is their, you know, formationally, this is what they run. This is, you know, their top plays, the things that they really try and get to. That's what you're looking for. So you're like, hey, out of this formation, out of this backfield set, they can run this, 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 and this, you know, and it, a lot of it's personnel based. So are they had an 11 personnel with one tight end, three receivers? Are they in with two tight ends, 12 personnel, you know, and two receivers? So you kind of get a feel for, okay, if in this personnel, this formation, this is what they're going to be in, you know, and this is the potential plays. I can get this, 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 this. And you're just trying to, you know, really – you're just trying to cover anything up. You're, you're, you're always playing worst case scenario and, and defense. I mean, for lack of a better term is cover your ass. Right. So you can be on the defensive and, and, or the offensive and attack right on, on defense. You can put them in specific pressure situations, but you're always trying to put your, your guys in the best position to make plays. Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate you going into detail with us on that one. Flipping script a little bit, obviously. Great recruiter. It's initially what you made your name on. I remember you going around with Pruitt, Share. You were always in their back pocket watching film with them. You were glued to the top prospects. Uh, you, hell, we always put you when we were in Georgia with the top prospects. So you're the best personality to lock them down. But from a standpoint now in college football, in your opinion, do relationships – do they mean as much now with NIL being just kind of the main topic of conversation? I mean, what's your, what's your two, what's your sense of that? Especially now you being at the best high school in the country, like seeing coaches still coming in from an IMG standpoint, you're at the Alabama, the Georgia of the high school level. What, what do you see? What do you sense now? Yes. I think relationships still matter, but not to the degree before, like, you know, you look at some of these people that come in and make these huge bids on kids, like, how do you not take it? Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, and it still comes down to, they're still kids, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've had defensive players here that, you know, they went to one school cause they grew up loving that school. And, you know, even though other schools are going to give more money and this and that, and they were, you know, they just love that place. And they were like, nah, you know, they're going to, they're going to help me out. And, and what's interesting, the NIL is a lot of it's really undefined, you know, um, even within organizations, you'll, you'll hear different people say different things, Yeah, uh, you know, from colleges. So it might be the head coach says one thing, but you know, the assistants say another and come behind and, you know, put out a bigger number. It's, a, it's almost like an unspoke. You tell me about it. just from talking about, I was talking to somebody today who kind of had some inside stuff about what Auburn is budgeting like 800 grand for a defensive line class but it's like you said it's interesting because you go ask someone else probably in that auburn facility and they would tell you something totally different it's almost like everybody tries to pretend they know the dollar amount for certain prospects and stuff like that like you said it's almost like one or two people in the building really have any kind of idea what is going on yeah and kids lie you know and uh it's it's so fascinating just with what the perceived numbers are and what the real numbers are. And, you know, it's, it's always, it's always ridiculous. And again, you're dealing with kids, right? So I think relationships do matter. I think you still have to have a relationship with a kid. Now, when somebody comes in and offers a ridiculous amount of money, yeah, I think that absolutely changes things. I mean, that's a lot of times it's about money and, and right, wrong or indifferent, you know, everybody's going to recruit them, but, 
the money changes the aspect, right? I've, again, like I said, relationships are still important, but at the end of the day, now that now that everything is above board, you know, there's going to be some big offers, and you know, money affects the way where you know previously a kid might not have gone to that place, but now they are. Changes the game. Yep, it's the world we live in now. Right, Nate, from a standpoint, we are in a contact period. Obviously, you know what the contact period is. You've been out on the road for your fair share of stuff. Just for the audience out here, from a story you can't tell, feel comfortable telling, what is your best contact period story you have from being on the road from your time as a college football coach? Man, there's some good ones. Um, you know, one time, I just going back to your, your home state, I was recruiting a defensive lineman in Hattiesburg. And, I, you know, I talked to him a long time, and I was going by the house. And uh, in classic Mississippi fashion, so I get there. It's during the state championships that were in Hattiesburg. And so I go, I roll up to the house. Nobody's there. The kid, I call the kid. He's like, yeah, I'm over such, such and such. And so I pull up. It's this trailer park. And I'm searching for him there. And I'm searching for him here. I must have gone to 12 to 15 places trying to find this kid. I'm talking to the coach, talking to this. I mean, and, and – they must have hid him out. I don't know where he was. I looked all over Hattiesburg, never found him. The next day he committed to another school. So I was like, you know what? That's about par for the course. So you went all the way to Hattiesburg and just was oh, searching oh, around yeah, town for this kid? Yeah, I was like dog that bounty hunter. Like, hey, anybody seen this kid? He's 6'5", 285. It wouldn't be hard to find. And you were getting no response. Kid yeah. was like big. Kid was like Bigfoot out there. Dude. You've heard oh, about yeah. him, but you can't see him. Yeah, no, that one was that one was pretty fun. Um, I'll tell you another good one. I went and recruited Henry Toto, who played for Alabama this year. And we went yeah. out, and I went to recruit him. And uh, he's LDS uh, Mormon. Yeah. And so I went to his church, and everybody in there was Polynesian, um, and they were speaking Tongan. And I went in and I don't, I mean, obviously I don't speak Tongan and they put a little headset on me, you know, they, they were translating and uh, I spent the whole day, did the whole church service and the whole time, you know, obviously Mormons, uh, they go on a mission after high school. Yeah. And the whole time uh, the, the preacher, uh, the Bishop, the, his whole sermon was about, if you, you know, serving God and that you need to go on a mission and anybody trying to stop you from going on a mission and, you know, was not doing right by God. And I was like, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, that's wild. And then I realized he was talking about me the whole time because I was like, oh man, this is awkward. About halfway through, I was like, oh man, they're talking about me. And are you, uh, in, are you in Tennessee stuff in this, in this service? Yeah, oh yeah. I'm in, I'm in a Tennessee pullover and I'm in some khakis and I'm sitting there and I was like, Oh, this isn't good. I was like, hopefully I make it out of here alive. But no, they were all great people. They were super, you know, super nice. And he ends up coming to Tennessee. So the Tongan in the native it's not the native language up in Alaska. No, no, no. There was uh yeah, I had no idea what was going on. Like one time they everybody stood up. They like told me to stand up and I was like, Yeah, hi, I'm Brian Niedemeyer. I work at the University of Tennessee. And like as I go to sit down his grandfather stands up and grabs my arm and picks me back up, 
says like a small dialogue in Tongan and then we all sit down. I have no idea what he said. I don't know if I offended everybody. I have no clue. That's good stuff. That's so, a good no, that's a good one. All right, Nate's last yeah. question before we let you go here about it, brother. What does college football, what does the landscape look to, look like to you in your opinion in three to five years? Scary, man. I think if they don't rework the calendar, I think you're burning out your coaches. I don't think there's any sustainability with that. Obviously, if they don't get a handle on NIL and have some type of restrictions or regulations, I mean, it's it's pretty much the Wild West right now. I mean, the calendar is awful. The transfer portal, you know, when when can kids get in? When can they get out? What should they do? They've got to change it, man. There's got to be some – at least some regulation. And, and if nothing else, just constrict the calendar, man. When you can recruit. I know coaches can't stop themselves because, you know, the head coaches are megalomaniacs and they just want to work everybody to death. But if nothing else, man, they got to do it to save the profession. It's no, not I'm- good for anybody. No, no, it's like you said, it's not – you're getting off these bowl games and people are immediately having no vacation for even a week. You're monitoring the portal. Who's coming on this visit? This kid's going to bail on the visit last week. Like you said, it's just so much going into what – I saw some quote today from some article. Someone asked a coach, he's like, I'm still – I think it might have been Mac Brown. was like, I'm still cover, I'm still recovering from the early signing period. Yeah, it's just what, – what are we trying to produce here? I mean, there's nothing – obviously, there's nothing amateur about it anymore. You know, but well, like you said, let's kind of call it what it is. I feel like we still try to hide the NCAA does with that curtain of like this is still he's a student athlete. It's like man, that that's like trying to hang up a curtain during a Category Five hurricane right now that is blowing with 160 mile per hour winds. Like it's like you can see everything behind the curtain. It is what it is. Like it is like you said, it's no longer amateurism. These guys are professional athletes slash employees, whatever you want to call them at this point. And and with that, there needs to be some you know change. So to some regulations and things like that. And it's just, it's gotten to the point of ridiculousness. I mean, there's no way that it can sustain and the people will burn out, you know, and I think that it hurts the kids. It hurts the coaches. It hurts the coaches' families even worse. So there's no way in my mind that it's productive for anybody within, you know, any of the institutions. 100% agree, brother. Well, brother, I appreciate you guys. Everybody appreciate Brian Niedemeyer hopping on. Remember, former coach at University of Miami, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. 2019 National Recruiter of the Year. Been everywhere, seen a lot of places, seen a lot of great talent. Uh, Good talk. Uh, Me and him just chopping it up here during this contact period. Thought he'd be a great guest to get on. Nades, I appreciate you hopping on, man. Enjoy that playoff game tonight. No problem, dog. Uh I'll see you later. Later, brother. All right, bye. I appreciate Brian joining us on the show. Like I mentioned, I thought he would be a good guest for this time of the year with the contact period in college football starting back up. Started this past Friday. One of the best recruiters I've been around. Again, he was the 2019, two, I think, 247 Sports um, National Recruiter of the Year. Uh, one of the best hustlers. Works his butt off. Guy uh, that I could ever imagine working with, even going back to my time with him when I was working at Miami. Thought he'd be a great guest for this time of year, so I appreciate him joining us again. Uh, but, hey, Pete Golden, he is in Oxford now. He is in Oxford. So what does that mean for Alabama? The three names that you just keep hearing, Jeremy Pruitt, 
Jeremy Pruitt, can he get over the NCAA allegations? What does that mean? Has he had anything? Is he had any um, punishments, restrictions, um, anything just that would leave him to be able to uh, not have a job here for the next few years? I think that hasn't been reported on from a public standpoint. Not a lot of people know um, whether it is or not. I've heard he's pushing for the job, but he's just trying to get cleared. Um, whether that be defensive coordinator or an analyst. I see some people throwing around, well, just make him D.C. and he doesn't have to recruit. Believe me, you don't want your defensive coordinator not being able to go out and evaluate and recruit kids. And also, that's one of Jeremy Pruitt's biggest strengths is his ability to relate uh, and recruit well to his players. You talk to all his former players, they really like him, either going back to Florida State, um, Georgia, Alabama, and even some of them at Tennessee. They liked him. So I mean, that would be one of his strengths. I think it would be a bad idea to bring him on as the D.C., and he couldn't recruit, why wouldn't you just give him an analyst spot at that point? Um, Glenn Schumann, currently the D.C. at Georgia, uh, Kirby Smart's right-hand man, graduated from Alabama, had damn near every role at Alabama from a support staff standpoint, uh, besides actually being the defensive coordinator over there. Um, alum of Alabama, his wife's an alum. I don't think he takes the job from people I'm talking to at Alabama, though. I really don't. I think he's going to sit there like Kirby, kind of – uh, wait for his turn, like you saw Kirby turn down multiple jobs while he was at Alabama, uh, waiting for that perfect head coaching job. Here we are, two national championships later. He did it at his alma mater. I think Glenn Schumann takes a similar route, not really his alma mater sitting at Georgia, but I think he's going to sit there for a couple years. He does call it, whether people want to believe it or not. I know some people are going to say Will Muschamp, but Glenn Schumann does call it now, uh, especially with Dan Lanning leaving after this after last year to go to be the head coach at Oregon. It is Schumann's show. Why not sit there and call it some more? I, if I'm him, I'll probably stay there wait for a head coaching job and then finally Jim Leonard is a guy I'm hearing who I kind of like because I've always heard Nick Saban's really thinks real highly of this guy if you don't know who he is uh he was the defense coordinator for Wisconsin this past year under Paul Chris he uh was the interim head coach um was up for the head coaching job obviously Luke Fickle got it he was asked to be retained from everything I understand of it he said no I think Nick Saban's had his eye on this guy for a long time it's just can he come in Learn the terminology of what Nick Saban's going to do. Nick Saban's not changing his terminology for anyone. That even goes for the offensive coordinator position. We're not getting into that. It looks like Bill O'Brien's probably going to move on. His contract is up. But even Nick Saban makes the new offensive coordinators who come into the building learn his terminology on the other side of the ball. So it's one of those things that had not been done before. Pete Golden wasn't a Nick Saban tree guy. He had to learn. He was there for a little bit. Say what you want about the guy not being a great coordinator. Uh, it is what it is. He did win a national championship. Have they had better with Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think Taj LaPoy was there long enough to really give a grade on his tenure as the D.C. there. But Pete Golden wasn't just a total dumpster fire. Let's call it what it is. I know the uh, random Alabama fans are going to be pissed off about, hey, well, we, we gave Jalen Hyatt five touchdowns this past year against uh, Tennessee. Well, if you go back and look at it, Bebba adjusted a little bit at half, calmed it down a little bit in the third quarter, midway through the fourth. It, was he great? No, but don't don't think Nick Saban doesn't have his fingerprint a little bit that on the defensive game plan as well too. So I think sometimes he gets a bad rap, but he's in Oxford. Those are the three candidates between Jeremy Pruitt, Glenn Schumann at Georgia right now, and Jim Leonard sitting out there as well. He was just previously the defensive coordinator and interim coach at the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, I lean towards a little sleeper pick. Jim Leonard is the DC. Jeremy Pruitt gets on as analyst. Just a feeling. Talking to some people, just a feeling. I'm not going to 100% predict that, but that's just where I stand right now on that. 
Moving on to the hardwood, what a heck of a weekend we had in the Southeastern Conference in basketball. Let's get it started off with the blue blood of the league. Kentucky getting the 63-56 win in Knoxville on Saturday afternoon at the Tommy Bowl, Thompson Bowling Arena for everybody who doesn't know that little nickname I have for them. How about the Cats, man? Crazy week for them after having one of the worst losses in program history that I can remember on Tuesday night, losing to South Carolina, who, oh, who, by the way, A&M went to Columbia on Saturday right after that game and beat them by 40. So it's back-to-back -back home losses for the Gamecocks, losing by 40. Yeah, Kentucky lost to them not even a week ago. These are the kind of games, though, flipping to Tennessee, that concern me with the Vols long-term. It's no reason to panic, but they can go ice cold at times. Not just cold. Ice cold. I'm talking about ice cold after a fall camp football practice cold. I'm talking 14% from beyond the arc the Vols shot on Saturday afternoon in their own building. Their defense travels. It definitely does. There's no denying that. But it's going to give you a shot most nights to win, but not with performances like that. And I think sometimes that's why they've had early exits under Rick Barnes, not making it past the first weekend. Those are similar performances that have been allowed, that have allowed them to have early exits, like I mentioned in the tournament. Kentucky played its best lineup of the season. Cason Wallace, Antonio Reeves, Adu Thero, Chris Livingston, and Oscar Shebway. That's the lineup the Big Blue Nation's been wanting to see. Big time win and big time week upcoming for both teams for different reasons. Heading over to Coleman Coliseum, Alabama got the 106-66 win against LSU at a rockin' Coleman Coliseum on Saturday afternoon. The Tide put their foot on the Tigers' throat from the beginning and never let up. Brandon Miller got it going earlier with the first bucket of the game from beyond the arc. Left off from his second-half performance in Fayetteville last week. He went for 31-9 and nine boards. Alabama continues its streak of beating conference opponents by 11 or more points. The Tide is the best team in the country to me right now, depending, as we talked about a little bit earlier, could be just some distractions coming up uh, soon with one of your teammates dealing in a capital murder case. How will that affect the Tide down the line? I don't know. I don't think anyone can really answer that. I don't even think Nate Oates can answer that right now. It's a lot going on in the program. They're on the road this week at, Missouri, um, at Vanderbilt tomorrow night, uh, and then we got at um, we got at Missouri on Alabama's got at Missouri on uh, Saturday. So maybe it's good for them to get away from Tuscaloosa for a little bit. But to group the teams from a national title standpoint to me, here's six. Hear me out. Alabama, Kansas, Purdue, Houston, UCLA, and TCU. Those are the kind of the six teams to me that really have a shot that I would bet on winning the national championship. The sleeper kind of being TCU, who scrimmaged Alabama now in the fall. People don't know that. They, they beat Alabama Pretty handily. I, I know Alabama played a bunch of young guys. They had different lineups. I think Nate Oates loves to experiment with that more so than really care about if they're going to win the game or not. But TCU is a veteran squad, I'm telling you. that The, the Horn Frogs, Jamie Dixon and his squad are a team to look out for. I think those are the six teams again. Alabama, Kansas, Purdue, Houston, UCLA, and hear me out, like I said, the TCU Horn Frogs. I think one of those six are going to win it or would win the tournament right now as we speak on January 17th. Alabama, big week ahead, like I mentioned, going on the road, two different places and two different uh, environments they've traditionally struggled in. Also, like I mentioned, the off-the-field stuff, how does that affect a young team like Alabama? Moving on, speaking of Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt flexed, it, flexed its muscles and got the 97-84 win over Arkansas at Memorial on Saturday afternoon. This was a very physical, emotional game. We had technical fouls, flagrant fouls. Jerry Stackhouse heaving a dry race board. He was so pissed off right before the first half. 
I mean, as much as Arkansas has struggled offensively since conference play started, their defense let them down on Saturday. The Hogs shot 49%, plenty good to win. They shot 49% from the field, 51% from beyond the arc. However, the Doors shot 51% from the field and 55% from beyond the arc. This looked like a very tired and frustrated team to me. I really think they believe Vanderbilt would just fold over and they didn't. Arkansas right now to me is a little fake tough. The Mikhail Mitchell kid coming in there, Anthony Black, they're a little fake tough. They try to be physical, but they don't really back it up. I think when people challenge them back, they back down a little bit. They're kind of like the bully when you finally stand up to them. They're not, this isn't the physical, intimidating Arkansas team you're used to. It's just, it's just not. Uh, but look, Jerry Stackhouse, in my opinion, is not done a great job at Vandy, but his teams are tough, and you cannot deny that, especially at home. After the under 12-minute timeout, you could see Vandy had all the momentum. Massive win for the Doors. Arkansas sits in the same boat as they were in this time last year. The only difference is they do not have the weapons they had at this point of the season to really turn around, go win 9, 10 straight in conferences they're going to have to. Still think it's a tournament team, but Eric Musselman's got, a, he got his work cut out for him this year in Fayetteville with the injuries. Florida getting a 73-64 win at home against the Missouri Tigers. They needed it. Don't look now, but the Gators have won three straight conference games and sit at 48th in the net rankings. Rough start to the game. They got down big, but the Gators overcame that and got a huge home win. Missouri, flipping over to them, reeling a bit as they've lost three of their last four games. This game was decided by the three-point shot shooting from beyond the arc. Florida had a 21-point advantage from beyond the arc on Saturday afternoon. Missouri really struggled to shoot as they went 3-for-18 on them for the game. Florida has one of the bigger midweek matchups this week as they travel to avenge a loss just two weeks ago uh, to Texas, Texas A&M as they travel to College Station this week to try to get a quad one win on the road. That's a big one. Probably one of the bigger, if not the biggest, midweek game of the week from a what's-at-stake standpoint. Heading to Auburn. Auburn hangs on for a 69-63 win against Mississippi State at Neville Arena on Saturday night. A little bit of an ugly one. If you liked offense, this wasn't for you. Auburn has always played good defense under Bruce Pearl. But their best three-point shooting night of the season helped propel them over the Bulldogs on Saturday night. Jalen Williams is playing pretty well for Auburn right now. I'll say this. To about the SEC tournament last year, that guy didn't see a lot. Even the Miami game in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year. I remember I was on the phone talking to one of my friends like, man, Jalen Williams, he's... Auburn would be getting beat by 25. They were already, I think they were down 16, 12 to 16 at half of that game against Miami in the second round last year. If it wasn't for them, they'd be down 20 plus with Jalen Williams. Because remember, Jabari Smith got into foul trouble. Uh, but when he cooled off, Jalen Williams on Saturday against Mississippi State, Auburn cooled off. Uh, the defense in this one really came down to all, the, the difference in this one really came down to Auburn's shooting ability. State is a very physical team, but their lack of offense is awful. It's a high school level. The difference in this game was Auburn making 11 three-pointers to Mississippi State zero. Mississippi State was 0 for 18 from beyond the arc. Zero percent shot the big donut from beyond the arc. It's hard to do. I could do that blindfolded, not toot my own horn. I was a pretty good shooter uh, back in my day. But 0 for 18 is not going to win you many games. I don't care how good you are on the defensive side of the ball. This is not football. And even now in football, you got to score. You're not just going to play a little bend but break defense. You have to show some offensive threat in all sports now. Rebounding turnovers will be a teaching point for Bruce Pearl and his squad this year, this week. Chris Moore being out with a separated shoulder helped Mississippi State out rebound Auburn. Janai Broom finally had one of his off nights. Tolu Smith got the best of him. How long will Chris Moore will be out will be interesting as they slid in Allen Flanagan, who had some big shots down the line. Uh, big, any win in this league is big. Auburn's hanging in there. We'll get into the standings in a minute, but uh, not not an overall great team. I don't know if they're the 16th ranked team like the AP poll had them today. They're sitting there tied for second. 
or a sole place, a second place in the SEC right now. Georgia, just briefly going through these last two, got the 62-48 win against Ole Miss and Oxford. Bulldogs are 3-1 in conference, 13-4. Great job of Mike White and his staff so far in his first season in Athens. They could get a massive road win on Tuesday at Kentucky. I don't think they will, but it would be another massive one. Ole Miss just fluttering around, still winless in conference. I expect this to be Kermit Davis's last season in Oxford. Texas A&M traveled down to Columbia, South Carolina, and got a 94-53 win against South Carolina. We briefly talked about this one. South Carolina may just need to play all road games. They have really struggled at home and have had multiple 40-point losses at home. Back-to-back, actually. Tennessee and Texas A&M. Watch out for A&M here, though. Sitting at 4-0, tied for first in the league right now. Very similar start to last year, but they cannot afford to have that losing streak they went on. Eight to nine game losing streak last year. Get hot late because you know what? Once again, they didn't schedule hard like I was screaming when I saw their non-conference schedule come out. Tweeting at Buzz Williams, trying to get his butt to go schedule a little harder. It's not a challenge when you go play in... um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina over the Thanksgiving break. Can't even remember the name of the tournament. But not only that, you go one and two in it. That can happen. They need to stay hot in conference. They can't be racking up losses here in mid, uh, middle conference play like they did last week. Um, let's go into the standings right now. Let's look at the standings as we head into midweek play starting tomorrow night. Alabama sitting at 5-0, and 15-2 overall. A&M tied for first, 4-0, and 12-5 overall. Just talked about them. Auburn, like I mentioned, they're tied for second with Tennessee right now. 4-1, 14-3 overall. Tennessee's the same, 4-1, 14-3. Georgia sitting at 3-1, and 13-4. A little bit of a weak non-conference schedule. They need to get some more conference wins as well, in my opinion. Florida sitting there at a good spot, in my opinion. 3-2, need to have a big week this week. 10-7, and seven, took some non-conference losses. But that FAU loss in non-conference doesn't look as bad this uh, as it did early in the season. FAU cracked the top 25 this week. Vanderbilt, 2-2, two and 9-8 two, and eight overall. I think maybe overall as the season ends up, they're going to continue to get better. This team may be overall better than it was last year. They're just missing Scottie Pippen Jr. and his ability to get to the free throw line. Missouri lost 3 out of 4. They're sitting at 2-3 and three in the league, 13-4 and four overall. Kentucky, we mentioned on big wins in 2-3, and 11-6 overall. South Carolina, 1-3, and 8-9 overall. LSU, 1-4, and 12-5 overall. Arkansas, 1-4, and four, the big shocker, 12-5 overall. And the two Mississippi schools rounding out 13th and 14th. Uh, Mississippi State is 1-4, 12-5 overall. And Ole Miss is 0-5, 8-9 overall. And I apologize, um, they're tied for 10th, I believe, right here between LSU, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, all sitting at 1-4 and four in conference. That is where we stand going into this week's action, and let's talk about this week. Leading off of tomorrow, we got a 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone tip-off. Ole Miss at South Carolina on the SEC Network. There was ever a chance for Ole Miss to get a conference win. It is this one. It's on the road. South Carolina struggled there. Something tells me South Carolina wins, though. Uh, Another matchup, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, Tennessee at Mississippi State on ESPN2. Tennessee totally just rocked Mississippi State, what, a week ago, a week and a half ago in Knoxville. Uh, Mississippi State's looking to avenge. Mississippi State's got to get something going on on offense. Mix it up. They may hit a three-pointer that night at the hump, uh, tomorrow night at the hump. Tennessee looking for a bounce back win. They they don't want to lose this game. Um I think they overall have the easier schedule than Alabama does in conference. They get some of their bigger games at home. Alabama goes to Knoxville here in about a month, so Tennessee has that advantage of playing that game at home. Tennessee don't want to get too far behind the standings. They want to make that game count where it's kind of a winner-take-all. Granted, it's not the last game of the season, but there's about three or four games left, I believe, after that. So you don't want to get too far behind in the standings and let Alabama run away with it. But 
Speaking of Alabama, we got a 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, Alabama at Vanderbilt on the SEC Network at Memorial Coliseum. How does Alabama come in? I mean, a lot of off the – on court, we're fine. They're fine. Alabama is fine on the court. Darius Miles has been away with the team, been away from the team for about a month. Uh, obviously, what happened Saturday night, Sunday morning was just tragic. Alabama's not going to really miss what he brought on the court. I think he was only averaging about four minutes a game. Hadn't played in the last month. Really went with the team. He was going to redshirt anyways. They announced on Saturday. But that's one of your teammates, one of the older guys. How does that affect you? From it, it, and it didn't even happen. It was outside of the area code. It was right down the street, right off campus, on campus. Some may say, "How does that affect the team?" Like I said, it may be good for Alabama to get out of town this week. Like they'll be at Vanderbilt tomorrow, then at Missouri on Saturday. Interesting to see how the tide comes out. I expect a little bit of a slow start, but I think Alabama will ultimately win that game. Then finally, the 8 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone tip between Georgia and Kentucky at Rupp Arena on ESPN. That's really the prime time game for me. Uh, I think Kentucky, if that if what happens Saturday at Thompson Bowl Arena doesn't get them going, I don't know what will. I like what Mike White and Georgia has done so far this season. I don't think they're ready to go win it, Rob. We may see Kentucky get on a little run here. Swag, cat, the Cats, Cal, all of them got their swag back. It'll be interesting. Uh, moving to the Wednesday night's action. We got three games, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Auburn travels to LSU on ESPN2. Auburn on any road game. They could lose to anybody. At home, they can beat anybody. I think this game is going to be close. If LSU can shoot well at home at the PMAC, they will have a chance in this game, I promise you, because I think LSU, I think Auburn's very turnover-prone on the road. They don't shoot as well. Really, the only thing in their road games that's traveled is Janai Broom's rebounding and scoring ability. So I think this will be a toss-up. If I had to give an edge, I'm going to go LSU in this game. Call me crazy, I'm going to go LSU in this game. Moving in the next one, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone game, Florida at Texas A&M on the SEC Network. We mentioned it. These teams already played in a close game two weeks ago. A&M got a big one. They're undefeated in conference. This is a big game for a net ranking. Go get a quad one road win for Florida. Watch out for the Gators. Winner of the A&M, 5-0 or 5-0 in conference if they win this. Swept Florida. Beat A&M. Uh, uh, beat Missouri. I apologize. They're beating the teams in the middle of the pack that are with them. That's what they have to do. This would be a big win for both teams. I think this is the most important game. Uh, the, ne- the next one as well. I think this is the most important game this in the midweek action of the SEC this week. I think Florida at Texas A&M is the game to really keep an eye on if you're really glued to this league. It's got a lot of ramifications. Give me the Aggies at home. Give me the Aggies at home. I like what they're doing right now. I just like the get. I like the Aggies at home. Don't really trust Florida on the road yet. And then finally, the last midweek game of the week, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone tip-off. Another rematch. Arkansas travels to Columbia, Missouri. SEC Network game, like I said, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Arkansas really needs this one. Missouri jumped out on them a week and a half ago at Bud Walton, but Arkansas went on one of their better runs, looked good. Um subbed in some guys ricky council went off in the second half um the joseph pinion kid shot well from beyond the arc in the second half does arkansas play pinion a lot in this game i do that it's something eric musselman's gonna have to get trimmed down he, you know he doesn't like to roll with a big rotation he only goes about six seven deep they got some injuries so i mean they're <clears throat> pretty they're the depth is a struggle right now i think they're gonna have to supplement pinion a little bit i know it's a little trapped in the moment i saw him play well against missouri last time 
but I think they need to play him. That He's really their only shooter right now. Ricky Council is not a shooter. He is a scorer. There's a big difference. I would let Ricky Council shoot his way out of a game instead of him penetrating the lane, playing up tempo, getting out in transition, and making plays at the rim. Ricky Council could shoot all day if I was defending him. Uh, that's why Pena needs to get some action. I like I like Missouri right now in this game. It's at home. They got two big home games this week. We'll preview that on Thursday's episode. They got Arkansas at home this week. Arkansas and then Alabama, the top five team, number four team in the country, rolls to Columbia, Missouri this week. But I like our, but I like Missouri midweek uh, on Wednesday night, eight p.m. tip on the SEC Network. And that's really it as we head into this week. We've got a lot going on. We've got transfer portal. Well, hey, Alabama's still probably going to do something with the offensive coordinator position. Be on the lookout for that. We'll give you any portal updates. SEC midweek action starting tomorrow and Wednesday. We'll recap on Thursday and give you the preview for this upcoming weekend's basketball action on the hardwood on Thursday's episode. Looking forward to bringing you the action. Baseball season's not that far around the corner either, guys. Practice starts here in about a week and a half, two weeks. we got a lot coming up in this 2023 New Year. Appreciate you joining us for this episode. You have a great rest of your week. Keep following us on Mach 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.